Okay, are we ready? I'm ready. Okay. Let me just go for it and yeah, it's going to happen. Make like a groundhog and go for it. Yeah. Okay. Hi, friends. I'm Wilson Lai. I'm Benjamin Yap. I'm Eli Sands. Welcome to Deep Cut. <laughs> welcome to a special episode of Deep Cut. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. Yucky balls crepin. <laughs> We're breaking our format and breaking bread. Breaking bread with the the, the audience. Uh, this is us, unfiltered and uncensored, I guess. <laughs> Are you going to say uncut? Mm, uncut. Uncensored. <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't think they want to see that. <laughs> well, um. this, this is not going to be edited heavily. So it's. Yeah, it, we're going to sound dumb. Is there's going to be a, a shit ton of ums. I repeat my words a lot, which I'm trying, trying not to do in real life. Trying, trying, trying not so to do hard. in real life. <laughs> <laughs> but there will be a lot of repetition of words on my end. Um, let's, we'll get this out of the way. <laughs> but today, what we are talking about is we're talking about the big year of 2020 and our favorite movies. Or the movies that we watched this year and the TV that we watched this year. That we want to talk about. Yes. <laughs> Cards on the table. I didn't see a ton of movies last year. And then when we decided that we were doing this episode a couple weeks ago, I just started guzzling 2020 movies to get my numbers up. How many? No- how much do you get your numbers up in the last oh, few weeks? Let's, yeah, let's compare our numbers. <laughs> Maybe like three <laughs> or four. <laughs> <laughs> That's not bad. That's guzzling yeah, for me. Yeah, I was trying to watch more stuff in the last week, but I was too busy. Me too. Me too. It, yeah, I was trying to get to some big picks, like like a like a Mank, uh, like a Nomadland. Yeah, but I'm sorry, sorry, couldn't get to those. But we're. I mean, I feel like Nomadland is almost a 2021 pick because it wasn't really that widely available. That's true. You know, yes. Like same with Minari, which you watched, and I'm. That's gonna be 2021 for me for sure. Same. Okay. Well, well, I'm still gonna talk about Minari because it's one of my favorite movies okay. of the year. And Ben, you can still Don't talk about it. Nomadland because you did see it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and Eli, you can also talk about my octopus teacher, which I am so curious okay. about. <laughs> In the build up to this recording, Ben and Wilson have been like urging me to talk about my octopus teacher which is this documentary on netflix that's nice but like i haven't expressed a particular like extreme fondness for it so i don't i don't get the bit it I'm sounds fond so of fascinating <laughs> who's Watch your it. octopus teacher i don't know <laughs> maybe the... <laughs> anyway anyway um so how do we begin? How do we start this? Now that we have absolutely no plan. Oh, jeez. Well, talk okay, about so we, have, we each have a letterbox <laughs> list of our 2020 movies, which we'll probably link in the description of this episode. So it might be easier for you to follow along while we jump around to these different movies that we're talking about. Um, and I think we're... Just, yeah, go, Eli. Let's start on a movie that we've all seen in common before breaking into things that each of us individually saw, right? So yes. if we hadn't talked about First Cow in City Hall, we'd be all over that. 
Yeah, yes. City Hall. I, I'm very happy to not talk about them at all because we've already talked about them so much. Yes. It speaks to themselves that we've already spent two bloody episodes on both of them. So <laughs> listen to those episodes. Yeah, and go watch those movies because they're all very high up on each of our lists. Very good. First Cow okay, is my number up. one. Boom, yeah, boom, boom. Moo, moo. Moo, moo. Great movie. Great movie. Moo. But we, <laughs> all, we also all saw Never Rarely, Sometimes, Always. Uh, oh, that's my number one pick. <laughs> ah, very good choice. Yeah. Why, why is it your top? Uh, yes. So, okay, uh, I had a hard time because I put it above First Cow, which I also really liked. Um, and City Hall is my, my number three. Um, but I think watching Never Rarely, Sometimes, Always was so emotional for me. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's such a simple, small movie, but it honestly moved me. Not really because of the the how difficult her journey was, but more I was so touched by the central friendship between um, the two the two lead female characters. I forgot their names, um, but they have such an incredible friendship and relationship throughout the film that I could not shake it. Like I was just like, wow. Like, I love watching amazing friendships on screen. Mm-hmm. And that's, like, one of the best ever. Yeah, talk about a couple of the best performance of the performances of the year from two relatively new or, mm-hmm. like, fresh actors. It's really great. And I think this is not only to their credit but it's also to eliza hitman their director's credit who has a history of working with young teen actors or fresh actors and getting these really incredible performances out of them um i really loved never rarely sometimes always as well and also just i'm a big fan of movies that take place over a short period of time and never mm-hmm. rarely sometimes always i think takes place over a weekend um after yeah. um one of the girls finds out that uh she is pregnant and is unable to to get an abortion where she is in pennsylvania so her and her friend leave to new york new york and have to figure out how to proceed and I, I guess that's a good um yeah no spoilers this episode yes no spoilers <laughs> but it is very it's a heart-wrenching movie yeah i think that eliza hitman i've seen beach rats by eliza hitman which i thought was okay but i didn't love and i really love never rarely sometimes always it feels like hitman really landed on an interesting and compelling stylistic choice by by really training her camera in close-up on the faces of her leads, almost entirely dominating the frame for a lot of the movie. In particular, the centerpiece scene of the movie for which... In particular, the centerpiece scene of the movie, which we won't describe, but it's very compelling. Yes. And I Can, can, just, can I say it's one of the best long-take scenes ever? Is that too much of a spoiler? <laughs> no, no, not at all. I would agree right, with that. No, right? I, I, it's one of the best long take seeds ever i just and said it that rides completely <laughs> on sydney flanagan's performance she's yeah. outstanding yes yeah it's incredible oh boy yeah and i i think with with beach rats her prior film and it felt like love her first feature there was sort of an obsession with filming bodies and 
um, how that is related to like a burgeoning sexuality or yeah, I, I guess it, it is bodies in relation to sexuality. Whereas with never rarely, sometimes always you, you sort of, it, it's, it's more, it, she takes a different direction with this one and it's, it's more of like the, the, the fallout, I would say of, of sexuality. Maybe. I don't know that that is maybe throwing it out there, but yeah. Yeah. I think as Ben said, it's just more about the friendship between these two cousins. Yes. And I think it's a wise choice to focus on faces to display yeah. that relationship. Great movie. Great movie. Yeah. Mm. Can't wait to see what she does next. Say. It's just so good. Go watch it. <laughs> Um, another movie that all three of us watched that is my number one movie of the year is Garrett Bradley's Time. Yeah. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. I absolutely adore this movie. And um, Garrett is a very talented documentary filmmaker who's only made a, f- a handful of features and... Um, and a bunch of shorts. Um, and this is sort of a, a movie that was a long time in the making for her that she made about Fox Rich, um, who is this mother of how many kids? Is it like five kids? And, and but no, basically, I thought, I, I thought it was oh. like three, four, oh, three, no, th- four. two. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. But um this movie I think it's 5. I think it is 5. I think it is 5. Um she had a lot of kids. But this movie is basically basically about her and her husband Rob um and both of them were convicted of a of a robbery um very early on and she took a plea deal whereas he didn't and he was he has been he was serving a 60 year sentence and Um, this movie sort of chronicles her work trying to get him out of prison and also just advocating for release of incarcerated people all over America. Um, But I think what is so beautiful about this movie is uh, Garrett has the uh, shoots her in the present day, like trying to, to go through this um like dealings with the the court and with the justice system but also she obtained so many so much home footage and home movies that fox was recording herself to show rob when he eventually went out of prison and that spans like i i think it was maybe like 20 the 20 years that he was in prison for and um they're all in black and white, both the modern day footage and the home movie footage. And it was, it's just so beautiful how it's edited together. Um, it, it feels like a blending of documentary and experimental film. And it's just so beautiful and emotional. Um, I really can talk about this movie for hours and what I love about it. Uh, also the score is gorgeous um yeah but what did you guys think about time i think i was just very much moved by the central story i 
sometimes I watch documentary and I'm not paying too much attention. Yeah. Which I think I kind of did with this movie, which I think is my fault. Um, but I think the central, like the subject that she found, that kind of access she got was so incredible that she could be so close to Fox Rich and get this level of access to the story. And it really leaps off the screen in terms of the characters of this real life story. To me, two of the most impressive aspects are the editing and the direction, how Bradley uses the camera, right? So Mm -hmm. during a documentary shoot, if you're filming an action that you can only get once, like Fox Rich calling for updates on her case to have Rob released, you can only film that once. And what Bradley Mm -hmm. does, which is very bold and very effective, but extremely risky on the filming side, is she zooms in, she has these expressive camera and lens moves, and she gets everything and she nails it. And I'm confounded by how she did that. And then the editing works in conjunction with that, where especially during that opening montage of Fox Rich's archival footage over those 20 years that Wilson was talking about, the whole thing moves kind of dreamily and very evocatively it's highly emotional and it's really upsetting and it does an incredible job of that thing that you talk about when you're trying to capture the importance of a social issue in a in a in a in a work of art you go for a specific and you really strengthen and double down on the specific and it suggests the breadth of the issue of incarceration in America and it's it's heartbreaking it's cathartic it's it's like a masterwork and Garrett Bradley is very young so I'm excited yeah. to see what she does next me too um to your zoom cinematography point uh I had the absolute pleasure of working with Garrett last year on a Netflix documentary that's about to come out about Naomi Osaka mm. and this is the crazy thing so she would work with it she was working with a dp and what she what you usually have is a is a wireless focus puller which is like you have a dial in your hand that probably the the first assistant camera who's helping the the director of photography um uses to maintain focus on the subjects but instead of having the motor on the focus ring um garrett would have the motor on the zoom ring and she would have a monitor and the dp would just be filming whoever the subject is and then garrett would just be turning the dial in when to zoom in and when to zoom out and then the dp would just have to react accordingly I've never seen that being done. Whoa. Like, on a technical level. That requires from both the director and the cinematographer a lot of trust. Yes. It was incredible to watch. I was so shocked. I was like, how are you doing this? This is just some magic happening in front of me. But, yeah, it is really crazy. And I think a lot of the visual style is is owed to, to Garrett herself. And... Yeah, Yeah, that that makes sense. That's a total tightrope walk, and it's so effective in the final result. Yes. Great movie. Go watch it. It's on Amazon Prime right now. Okay, next movie. I don't know what to move on to. (laughs) Let me look at my list here. Yeah, Eli, bring one, because Ben brought one, and then I I started one, and then Eli, go, go for it. So I would be remiss if I did not bring up 
Steve McQueen's Small Axe series, which is also on Ooh. Amazon Prime. Small Axe. This is a series of five movies that McQueen made over a number of years with a few different co-writers he directed, and they're all about the period of the late 60s through the late 80s, I'd say, in a neighborhood in London called Notting Hill. Notting Hill is a large center in London for West Indian immigration, and McQueen chooses five stories that show the struggles of that community to gain rights to education, to protest, to work, to freedom. And they're all so effective and lived in. They're very textural, the incredible wallpaper and details. Mm -hmm. They're real masterpieces, and it's such a marvel that they exist. And they were really under-discussed this year, which is a shame. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they were. They really sort of went by. Yeah. Okay, quick. Rank small acts. Okay, okay. Eli, go! One is kind of a toss-up between Mangrove, which is a story of a trial in response to a protest, and Lover's Rock, which is a story about a party. And I think Lover's Rock... I, I, can't, I really can't decide between the two, honestly. Lover's Rock is my favorite. Go with your gut. Lover's Rock, I think, has the best scene of the year for me. There's this one dance sequence uh, <laughs> set to a song called da, Silly Game. Da, 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 da. <laughs> <laughs> if it's only I could hit shame. the high <laughs> It's so Ooh. lushly filmed and edited, and the sound design is so warm and close to your ears. It's such a... It's a movie that you can step physically into and feel so present. Mm. It's a wonderful feeling. Mangrove, I think, is my favorite script mm -hmm. of the five. And also the performance of Sean Parks in Mangrove might be might be my favorite of the five as well. He plays the owner of a restaurant that is harassed by police. Mm. Then from there, in education, which is the story of a young boy who has a learning disability and is sent to and is sent away from his school instead of receiving the proper care. Then I'd have to go Alex Weedle, which is pulled from a real story of one of the writers in the writer's room about his coming of age and his journey through the foster care system and into prison to becoming a writer. And then Red, White, and Blue, which also has another excellent performance in John Boyega, who's playing a young man who becomes a police officer in Notting Hill. Any differing opinions? <laughs> oh, I have a I have a very different ranking ranking from Ooh. yours. Wilson, go. Wilson, go I'm for not gonna yeah, but number one, Lovers Rock, which is I feel like it's sort of undeniable that it, he captured lightning in the bottle with that one. Um, number two, education, love that. Number three, red, white, and blue. Um, number four, mangrove. Number really? five, mm. Alex Weedle. Why Mangrove so low? Because that's my number one. I'm bored with courtroom <laughs> drama. <laughs> oh, but it's one of the best courtroom films I've seen in a long time. I think it's my favorite courtroom film I've seen. And also, just to tag on I this. I think it's the only courtroom film I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. There's, I'm, you know, we're, I mentioned that they're under-discussed this year, but I think it's particularly dismaying that in the year when another trial film about a protest with a predominantly white 
podcast that was kind of mm-hmm. received middlingly yeah. is discussed more than Mangrove, which is Fuck Trial of the Chicago film. 7. I wasn't going to name it. There goes our <laughs> Netflix deal. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I've, I, I have not watched that film out of protest. <laughs> How ironic. Also probably because I don't have enough time. Okay, I mean, I think okay, I think Mangrove is better than Lovers Rock, mainly because I I have a big, I think Lovers Rock the party scenes are incredible, mm-hmm. the dance scenes the, the, where they're listening to music and hanging out. I really had an issue with the the a plot, like the fact that it even has an a plot. And I mentioned this to both of you, which is that it's strange that there are, is a main character in Lovers Rock, and yeah. knowing I don't understand why there is a main character in Lovers Rock like it's confusing why these are the main characters and I don't find them especially compelling I kind of wished it had sort of like a I guess dazed and confused kind of meandering right like in and going around type of characters because with then it's very confusing because it's like I just want to stay with I just want to know more about this guy or this girl and then, you know I want to know more about this but then you're only telling me about these two main ones and I don't care or have enough context to care about them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, but for sure, the party scenes really just elevate it to a certain level that lets me kind of forgive that issue I have with it. Whereas Mangrove feels a bit more well-considered in that it feels very tightly scripted. Yeah. And the way it captures the courtroom scenes is so sharp. Yes. Um, it's it, it feels so considered in the way the shots that he uses, especially with the, sh- the feet banging and the mm, stamping, yeah. that kind of stuff. That stuff is really awesome. Um, doesn't feel boring as a courtroom drama. Um, and I really like that. And it kind of does that thing where it has many characters and you get a sense of all of them. But it's also two hours, where it's just, whereas the rest <laughs> of Small Axe is so short that I really felt like... Did you feel Half like you wanted more <laughs> for each of, uh, for the like, other stories? Uh, a little bit. So my ranking, Mangrove, Lovers Rock, Red, White, Blue with uh, John Boyega, Education, and Alex Whittle. Alex Whittle definitely is the one that feels a little bit half-cooked because I don't know. It kind of just stops. Um, it doesn't feel complete like a sto- as a story. And the jump from the jump of uh, Whittle's development or writer feels very abrupt. Um, and, and it doesn't feel like I know what the story is trying to be about. Right. Well, it doesn't really but don't touch you think on it his ends, development as a writer. But don't you think it ends with him taking the first step into being a like making the I guess having so, the idea of becoming a writer instead of developing as a writer? I agree with Ben that it feels like there's a second half missing, and I wanted to see how he takes the tools that he learns in what is this version of the movie into his career as a writer. I would have mm-hmm. liked to see the yeah. the cause connect to the effect. There, I mean, there's a bit of that that feeling of him being a sort of because um, I think he was a foster kid, right? And so he didn't he didn't he didn't grow up in the same culture as the rest of the West Indian community in right. Notting Hill. That's right? true. So that is an interesting part of it, and they 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 there's a lot of I guess a bit of comedy in terms of him not fitting into Notting Hill and the rest of the community making fun of him for having a weird accent or whatever. But it kind of jumps the gun in terms of. It, it jumps time to show him assimilating in a sense to that community, but it also doesn't really give us any, it doesn't dig in deeper into what that means, mm-hmm. you know, to assimilate to a culture that technically you're not part of, but then because I guess of your skin color, 
means you should be a part of it or that he wants to be a part of it, right? So, like, I feel like there was some stuff that could be unpacked there that maybe it doesn't apply to Alex Whittle himself, maybe, but it felt like a question mark for me that right. I kind of wanted to know a little bit more about. Um, yeah, so Alex Whittle, that's why it's so far down the list. Education yeah. also felt a little bit... I think it's okay, but I know Wilson has has a soft spot for this one. I don't get it, but... Um, <laughs> I thought it was okay. I, I just think it's okay. I really love education. I do think it is... I, I do think it's sort of like the underdog out of all of these because... And, and I, I always fall for movies with uh, ch- like young leads. And I think the the kid in this is so good. I think the performances across the board is so good are so good. And it just spoke to me more emotionally. I think the idea of just wishing that your child gets a decent education it like just that want it is so emotionally powerful especially think when thinking about the larger context of how a good education can sort of break a, a, a poverty cycle or like just lead to a better life i feel like it, it just really spoke to me and the relationships between the mother and the son and the sister and the brother uh, were just so strong. And I think it, it, as a full film, I think it closed out a lot, um, like, really well. And I think it was a great choice for him, uh, for uh, Steve McQueen to end the series on education. I agree. It looks to the future. It's a very touching family unit. There's a scene when the mom, who has been ignoring her son Kingsley's learning disability for a while, finally acknowledges it and asks him to read a passage that oh, is heartbreaking. <laughs> and made me cry. the way that the movie returns from that and re-solidifies the family is, is very touching. And I think it's a very effective closer to the series. It really is. And... Just as a whole, I think it's just so impressive that Steve McQueen was able to do this, and he he basically made five movies and released them all in one year. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Who else has done it's that? Wild. It's crazy. Well, uh, someone else maybe has done that, and we we will talk about that later in this episode. <laughs> or should 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 we just bounce bounce to Who? the next pick? <laughs> Wait, um, what I, is this? What are you talking about? I am gonna bring up. Probably you guys haven't seen it, but the my oh, most... I know what he's gonna say. <laughs> the the hardest movie I had to watch this year, Ilya Krzyzewski's monstrous, monstrous oh, Dow series. Go on, go on. <laughs> okay. Okay. You got two minutes and we're moving oh, on. Oh, <laughs> come on. Come on. Okay, okay. Dow. The Dow series is this movie series directed by this madman who decided to have this filmmaking experience slash social experiment where he would have um, actors and scientists and <laughs> so many people come and live in this, um, the largest set ever built built in Europe. And they're supposed to like be living in Soviet Russia and acting as scientists trying to, um, in the Cold War, and trying to conduct experiments on animals and human beings, and 
and then they would just be living in that facility for i think the 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 experiment happened for like three to five years and then every day he would just go with a cinematographer and film certain scenes just keep on filming every day and from this i think he made 12 feature films that he had his was starting to release this year and it was just incredibly fucked up that he just made (laughs) these people do this and they they consented but the stuff that they had to do for camera or just in character is so devastating um i saw this year i think he released around seven of the of the films and i saw three of the films i saw dow natasha which i i caught at berlin that was the first time i saw a dow film and i had no clue what i was watching when i went in i went in with my friend john um who (laughs) both of these guys know and john (laughs) we left the screening and we were both scarred but john was like this is fucked up in like a bad way and i was like this is fucked up but i'm so interested (laughs) in what this (laughs) is um but dow natasha is about this cook who works in the facility with all these scientists and and her assistant and their relationship which is uh very abusive and um the stuff with uh, yeah the dow stuff is not easy watches there's nudity there's violence there's torture and you're watching this as a viewer knowing that this is not scripted and this is also probably real like the sex scenes you're watching they're actually having sex the torture scenes you're watching is it apparent watching them that they are probably not simulated um yeah yeah it's it's very it's super clear is it it's not super clear but i feel like there there's no like hiding stuff from where the angles are being filmed damn it's like you know the opposite of when you're watching something and you know how it works yeah like, you know the movie tricks but this is like you're watching something and you're like wait there are no movie tricks so yeah. then it's like fucked up it is incredibly fucked up and i still haven't come around like i my, i haven't like made a clear decision on whether i think this is a good thing or a bad thing but mm. i do i do want to i just i do want to bring it up because i think it is a, a a big thing that that someone has accomplished that um should be talked about or not i don't know if this should well, be buried well, ju- just, to be, just to be clear to legally protect ourselves we should say that we here at deep cut do not endorse torture and you should wait until marriage to have sex yes <laughs> 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 i i for one know that i can never watch those movies i yeah i appreciate you know tough. movies that try to push boundaries to plunge the depths and see how deep our darkest problems are as a as a species but i cannot bring myself to watch any of the down movies that's that I, I can't do it it's a no thank you for me too i <laughs> Maybe I will watch a short one. I don't know. There's too many movies to watch. Yeah. I, <laughs> it's so easy to just say, nah. I was planning on watching all of them, but then I got through three and I was like, I can't do this anymore. This is too <laughs> heavy for me. Man. 
Uh, okay, moving on. Let's talk about a lighter movie. Does anyone have a lighter movie to talk about? <laughs> Woo! Yeah, go back. Miranda July. Okay, I watched Kajillionaire and I did not know what to expect and I did not realize I would love it so much. I did not realize I would love it so much halfway through the movie and I was like, this is so weird and I don't know if this is good. And then it got really good. I don't want to say too much, but it has Miranda July's signature kind of idiosyncratic or maybe you could say almost twee style but i think people like to use twee as a as a as a way to condescend to her but i also loved her first feature me you and everyone we know and i thought congelina was better than that she has a great way of modulating tone in this movie and it's still mm. tone in a very light-hearted way but it was one of the most emotional movies I saw, and it's still so strange and odd, but still emotional at the same time. The characters are definitely heightened, the world is a little bit heightened, but it still hits a very relatable emotional level that I just cannot explain, and that's why it's such a great movie to me. Yeah. Using artifice to get to emotional truth. Yeah. There's there's a trick there how, how she hides what the emotional core of, of the movie mm. is until... When you're very far into the movie and yep. you, I think you already have a a better understanding of these really quirky characters, so you know mm -hmm. how they tick and what is important to them. Mm -hmm. And then when she d reveals what this movie is actually about, it, it things click immediately, and mm -hmm. you're like, oh, your heart also clicks into place, and yes, it it really. This the outpouring of emotion just comes so fast. I would suggest to watch this without watching the trailer if you can, because I saw the trailer, but I think I wasn't paying so much attention. I was like, okay, I'm gonna watch this because I like Miranda July, and also because I told you to watch it. I was ben. so surprised. <laughs> yeah, you told me to watch it, but I was already on my. I was gonna watch it. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, man, like the cinematography of it in some of the very so-called quote-unquote normal scenes is not remarkable in any heightened way mm -hmm. but then i think that's a very smart choice because when she has those scenes which are heightened they really just sing and yeah and just go straight to the heart and also the soundtrack fantastic i've been Ooh. listening to it a lot <laughs> soundtrack by emil mosseri what is that yeah he also did the uh the minari like man and the San minari Francisco. soundtrack wait he did minari I mean, okay, this is for me. I rarely compliment a soundtrack because I usually don't pay so much attention to music. And so if I say it, it's a big deal. <laughs> yes, yes. So that's Kajillion Air. <laughs> Moving did on. Either, did either of you see Bad Education on HBO? Yeah. I did. I love that movie. I think that's one of my favorite scripts of the year written by Mike Makowski. Bad Education is the real-life story of Frank Tassone, who was the superintendent of the Roslyn, New York public school system who was discovered to have been embezzling millions of dollars millions of dollars right yeah i think it was at least a million yeah and <laughs> it's a really compellingly constructed script because it shows you the surface level functionality of this system and it just peels back layer after layer to this mm -hmm. guy and it has a lot of actors cast against their classic type, chiefly Hugh Jackman, who is projecting warmth and kindness, and you just... Instead of being Wolverine. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Definitely against type. He had no claws in this one. The claws come out. Ooh. Surprise <laughs> gay movie. Sorry. I went to a... What's that? <laughs> I said surprise gay movie. <laughs> <laughs> so you go in, you're thinking if this is going to be a heterosexual movie, but <laughs> jokes, jokes on you, viewer. It's not... <laughs> I went to a Q&A with the director, Corey Finley, and the writer, Mike Mikowski. And there are a couple of pearls of wisdom that I want to drop. Chief amongst them is Finley said something that has just been bouncing around in my head for six months now. He said, quote, movies that force us to acknowledge the multitudes within people have a moral place in this world, end quote. I Mm. love that. And I want that stamped on my forehead. (laughs) He also said the editors don't get enough love, which is just very nice. I think, oh man, I don't know about that occasion for me. I, I think it was well-constructed. <laughs> like, I think it is well-constructed, but I, I don't know why when I watched it, I was so underwhelmed. And I, was, I felt like I was a bit overhyped uh, going into it. Right. I was but, probably doing the overhyping. I can't remember. I, I think it was something about how I didn't know what I was supposed to. I think I was watching like kind of in a dumb way. So I was like, can you tell me what I'm supposed to feel about all these people? But yeah. no, but I like that. I like not knowing what to feel. Yeah. That's one of my favorite experiences in the movies. Yeah. So I think here in that quote, I now understand the point of the movie, which is to like let you decide on your own. Yeah. About the different characters, right? Yeah. But eh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes people are wrong. <laughs> you know who else lets you decide how you feel about the characters? Who? 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 Oscar Farhadi. <laughs> oh, I mean, yeah, I get it. Throw back or but, throw throw forward, I guess. I don't know. I I, th- I feel like maybe I already judged them pretty easily, and I, I didn't feel like with Ozzy Hardy you find it difficult to judge. But here I was like, yeah, okay, that, that person's bad. That person's bad. You stole money. You stole money. <laughs> like I didn't feel like there was a but difficult still, are moral you not judgment charmed? to make. Were you not charmed by are him? Are you not entertained? I really wasn't. I really wasn't. <laughs> okay. But I think because you have the whole like first act of the movie where he's like golden boy and I feel you're really supposed to be won over by yeah. that. I don't know if I was. Before Maybe I wasn't. The, the layers start peeling back. I really, I really liked Bad Education and I was really excited to see what Corey Finley did after Thoroughbreds, which I thought had a very mediocre script. I, I don't think there was mm-hmm. enough edits made to that script so i like was just very excited because he directed thoroughbreds with so much attention and like to visual style and to audio style and had such intense performances that i just needed i just wanted to see what he did next and i'm so glad that he there was a much stronger script this time around because the way that he he wrangles everything together from um the camera moves and the framing and the performances it, it just comes together really beautifully and i'm also grateful to bad education for introducing me to my like number one like advocate actress to be or like big star to be geraldine viswanathan yeah she was great 
oh, is incredible and is also in the broken hearts gallery which is a very <laughs> mediocre movie that came out this year but a movie i really enjoyed about her being a a, a single girl trying to get over her exes who falls in love with uh, with this guy. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> I, I, I would explain it more, but it would take time, and I don't think the movie is worth that much time. <laughs> or I could explain it. I could explain it really quickly. No, it's okay. okay. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm moving on. <laughs> Um, I want to briefly talk about Minari because that is my favorite narrative feature of the year and um, has that score by Emile Mosseri, which is so beautiful. And it's set in the 1980s and it's about this Korean-American family who decide to move to rural Arkansas, or I guess the father of this family, played by Stephen Yuen. Um, decides to move to rural Arkansas. And it's about uh, how the family, which is the father, his wife, a daughter and a son, and the grandmother, the the mother's mom, and how they adapt to living in the Midwest where they really don't know anyone. And it's just purely like white territory in, in 1980s Arkansas. And learning how to grow, because they bought farmland and... Um, just make a life for themselves in America as this Korean American family. And it's so beautiful. It's, it's filled with these so many of these different vignettes, um, just like little scenes as you follow them throughout the course of a of a year, I think. And it really reminded me of one of my favorite movies of all time, um, Edward Yang's Yee Yee. Mm, and I knew you were <laughs> in how it paints this really broad portrait of a family, but also within the little scenes where you visit or where you spend time with each of these characters, um, so much depth can be um, shown within them and their relationships to each other. Uh, it's I, I think it is a pretty pitch-perfect movie. I I can't wait for you guys to watch it, but... Yeah, I just wanted to put it out there. Minari, incredible, beautiful, catch it. I'm very excited to see it. One of my yes. most anticipated. Steven Yoon is the man of the man of the hour. He really is. He's great. Yeah, love him. He can kind of do it all. Have neither of you seen Beautiful Day in a Neighborhood? No. Yeah, I did. You did? Okay. That was not this did you year. Like it? I loved it. That was this year for me. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, last year for me. Wait, I'm uh, confusing it with Won't You Be My Neighbor? The doc or the So that's Mary the documentary that came out before. No, I'm talking about the Mary no, Heller. Because that's on my list for 2020, which is like my last five-star movie. Yeah. <laughs> which I Okay, disclaimer, I actually don't think it's a five-star movie, but I just have a very soft spot for this kind of movie. Mm -hmm. Like a movie that's purely about... Let's all let's become kinder, cooler people. Yeah, <laughs> like I'm all for, for that. that. I'm all for yeah. that. Yeah, like I think writing-wise, it's a bit awkward in how it, it it centers on the journalist, and I but I still think that's the correct move. It's just not the most interestingly played out. But everything with with Mister Rogers is incredible. The way that it's a biopic, but not from his perspective. It's from another person's perspective. Very well done. I loved all of Mary Hiller's films already. 
And if you don't know her, she's also the mom in Queen's Gambit, which you probably have more seen. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> that was so judgy, Ben. <laughs> which, y- which you all have probably seen. That was so judgy. <laughs> you can't clubs. condescend to our audience. <laughs> <laughs> she is the best part. Her and Anya Taylor-Joy are the best part of, of that yeah um that whole i don't want to talk about queen's gambit it's okay <laughs> that's how but, that's what will give us get us the listeners everyone's seen queen's gambit yeah have you guys played four person chess <laughs> no <laughs> it's really is that fun. even a thing yeah 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 on chess.com oh chess isn't fun this is officially i'm a chess still learning podcast. how to play chess deep chess the knight goes in an l shape <laughs> that's all i know on move forward Rook go lefty righty. <laughs> Why Bishop no? go on the squigglies. <laughs> I don't yeah, know. Let's let's take the time right now to teach no, me how to no, play no, no, chess. No. <laughs> I'm gone. This is over. Watch Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. I really liked it. I like that it's pitched like a Mr. Rogers Neighborhood episode. Yeah. Beautiful it's, it's really Day sweet. in the Neighborhood. Also, really great dream sequences. That's what I remember mm-hmm. from that. Really yep. good. Really Guys, good. Ben Yap Taylor Joy. Hey, what? <laughs> Uh, that okay. one's not that good. <laughs> it's not that great. Go yeah. away, Mort. <laughs> <laughs> That's an in joke you're not gonna get, but okay. <laughs> okay, any other picks? Can we talk about? can we talk about my my favorite self loathing daddy, <laughs> Hog Sang Su? <laughs> oh yes. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Are we talking about? <laughs> yeah, we're talking about the woman who ran. I. It's 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 been a long relationship between me and and HSS, uh, the man of the, the hour. The HSS, <laughs> sad boy drinking. Sad cool. boy drinking. Um, Hong Sang Soo is a Korean director who makes these. I don't even know how to describe. He are they even movies? <laughs> yeah, what then? <laughs> they are. They're good. <laughs> they are movies. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> but they they, they 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 feel very um, lo-fi. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And yeah. they usually they usually talk about either women with their problem with men, men with their problem with women, and the butting heads and and everyone's um, problem with drinking and spilling their guts. Exactly. And he Wait. usually puts a lot of his, I guess maybe self-hatred or uh, yeah yeah yeah, definitely (laughs) self-hatred into his movies so in this movie which stars the incredible kim min hee who was also his girlfriend who he cheated on his wife with um and (laughs) his wife and his wife and his family are publicly asking him to come back to his family and he has not That's oh. a big oof. Yes. Whoa. <laughs> big bomb. Um, no, but I knew it, but Kim it's still always so hard to hear. Who, uh, while her husband is on some business trip somewhere, she, she goes and visits a friend outside Seoul, and they just have a nice conversation, and then they... And then they leave. It's, okay. it's, it, it's, it's really just Kim Min Hee visits three friends. Yes, yes, yes. And she has a very long conversation with all of them. That, that's that's the pre- that's the premise. That's it. Yeah. I think one of my favorite things about Hong Sang Soo, which maybe I shouldn't be saying now because I think we'll probably do an episode on him someday, right? Ooh. Definitely, I, definitely. I like how his movies always have 
a unique feeling structure because it's about how a character or sometimes two characters move through interactions with other people. And that's sort of what breaks up the scenes or vignettes or acts of each movie. And I, I like that a lot. It's it's just how people move through each other and hurt each other and get it wrong. Sometimes get it right, but more often get it wrong. Yeah. They're not, I, I like them. He has a very solid sense of what his structure of these films are. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, I just told you it's three conversations. Then you have something like Right Now, Wrong Then, which is two so-called different ways of how a scene might play out in a sense. Right. Uh, how a story might play out. And yeah. so he is very much using repetition to make a point. I have not been a big fan of Hong Sang-soo, but I <laughs> liked Woman Who Ran, and I was very concerned that I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> I remember you going in, you're gonna, you were like, oh, I'm going to hate this, right? <laughs> you're like, yeah, I, but I, I like, liked it? <laughs> wait, I like it? Wait, what? <laughs> and I think I liked it maybe because it was a bit more gentle than his usual. Like, there's much less drinking in this, actually. Yeah, yeah. I, in fact, there's much less sad boy in this, and maybe that's yes. why it's better. <laughs> I am very, I very much in the on the side of liking Hong Sang-soo's movie that movies that have female protagonists because mm. they're just mm. a lot more fun of he's just they're just like having a good time they're just mm -hmm. drinking they're just talking about their problems and uh, I don't know I just want to live in his movies so most sometimes, oh, sometimes they, 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 <laughs> this one has a really good feel though like this one just sitting yeah. in with them talking it has a very pleasant feeling about it and you're just kind of getting a sense of these characters by virtue of these very almost normal conversations but then he peppers in all these details that are important to kind of the main point of the film hmm. so there's something going on there i'm gonna have um, to catch which it i haven't really unpacked too much yes and this is Hong Sang Su usually works in a diptych structure where he splits a movie like sort of clean in half and changes something or, or retraces different courses in the film. Whereas this, he he tries the the triptych um structure, which I found very exciting. Um, after consuming so many of his movies, <laughs> this also this man churns out maybe on average two to three movies a year for I would say the past ten years. That's ridiculous. Yeah. The so dream. grateful for the man, grateful for the woman as well. Okay. Next film. Bum bum bum. bum. Neither of you guys saw Vitalina Varela, right? No, nope. I really wanted to. <laughs> I want to quickly plug it. So this is Pedro Costa's movie based on the story of the lead actress, whose name is Vitalina Varela, who immigrated to Portugal to be with her husband. And when she got there, he had died three days earlier. So the movie takes that sort of establishing situation and creates all these intricate little emotional scenes and interactions with people in the community where Vitalina arrives. It's very low-key in a sense, but there's a lot of depth to this movie in many senses. Emotionally, you are often wondering what exactly v Vitalina is thinking or feeling. The cinematography is outstanding. It's predominantly shot at night with this great chiaroscuro lighting. It's almost an experimental film in the way that it moves and is shot. 
a lot of long takes, kind of languid, but there's a lot of feeling there and I appreciated it. I think you both would like it as well. Yeah, it's very high up on my list. I'll add it to my list. You guys watched Emma, right? <laughs> no, I, I didn't see it. I want to see it. This, one, you're, you're one, top, M, one M, one M, not two M's. M. No. <laughs> I, I like Pablo Lorraine. Well, okay, I, I love Jackie. I didn't much like Neruda. Mm-hmm. I'm in the same boat. I don't know where I would land on Emma. Emma's sort of crazy. <laughs> Just a heads up, but... Um, <laughs> Uh, good thing I love crazy. Um, it's <laughs> about this dancer who um, has a child with uh, her choreographer, and due to certain marriage issues, uh, she loses custody, or they both lose custody of the child, and um, it's sort of her scheming and working to to get her child back, and the ways that she does that are pretty wild, um, pretty sexy. There's a lot of gorgeous dancing sequences um, set to some really awesome uh, reggaeton music, and there is it is it, it's just. It's like such a propelling force, this movie, that I just couldn't help but get sucked in and just fall in love with this wild woman who is like is doing whatever it takes to get her child back and just, yeah, loving basically every minute of this movie. Ben does not agree. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I just didn't really get much from this movie. I, I was not entertained. <laughs> I don't have a reason. I, I'm not going to tell you a reason. I, it's been a while since I've seen it. Yeah. I just wasn't engaged much. I was confused. Mm-hmm. I didn't really understand the characters, I think. Um, dance sequences, really cool. But I was just like, what? Yeah. That's really just my response to it. I, I just... <laughs> I think it's too weird for me. I'm just a fucking normie. (laughs) (laughs) She's wild. It's wild. Um, Also, I don't know. It really just leans into my... Like, I loved Climax um, for a lot of inexplainable reasons just because I love crazy shit. Um, I love the Climax dancing scenes too, though. Yeah. So, like, kind of similar response for both films for me. Like, love the dancing, but, like, what is this movie? (laughs) Right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um so if if you liked how i described this movie <laughs> definitely check it out it also has gail garcia bernal who's always excellent mm-hmm. yeah and is gorgeous in this movie so oh my god he... everyone, everyone's everyone's really hot in this movie <laughs> heads up that's a good reason to watch a movie speaking of movies where everyone's hot martin martin also like so high up on my list this guy wears jackets incredibly and then oh. he wears jackets terribly. That's all oh. I'm going to tell you going in. It's Is okay. that it? Is that how you're going to sell this movie to us? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, okay. I was underwhelmed because it was so high up on so many critics' lists. And I was like, what? I didn't get it. Uh, I think I'm just... It's based does on it some literary thing. Does it, it look beautiful, though? Does it look beautiful? Oh, my God, Wilson. You are gonna, you're going to devour the cinematography. It's okay. so good. I'm ready. I'm I ready. Think that movie goes frustrating on purpose towards the end, but I won't get more specific than that because Wilson mm-hmm. hasn't seen yet. Is he dreamy? <laughs> oh asking. my God, is he ever dreamy? 
<laughs> Martinelli. Martinelli. I found it difficult to invest in the character from like the first, from the start. I, I it was confusing where I was going. I don't know whether but Ben. He's knowing hot. the plot of the. Uh, <laughs> That's it, Ben. <laughs> don't you get it? For me. He's gotta be hot inside. No, I don't. Whoa. <laughs> That's beautiful. That sounded weird. That's weird. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I just, uh, I don't know. I felt like it was a bit too esoteric for me in general. Right. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Ah, uh, Luca Marinelli, Dreamboat. I don't have an organic segue, but the nest. Oh. No. no eh. <laughs> yeah, actually, we, let, let's not... devote devote airtime to the nest. <laughs> I mean, the reason we're being like kind of wishy washy about this is I just don't. Okay, I didn't understand the praise that this film was getting. Maybe everyone saw the the series finale of The Leftovers and thought that was The Nest because <laughs> Carrie Coon is just so incredible in The, in the Leftovers. She's incredible in The Nest as well. Okay, so the <laughs> thing is, it is well acted, it's well shot, but I just, at the end of the day, didn't really understand what the point of this film was. Oof. But Ben, Jude Law's hot. <laughs> <laughs> you guys can't keep using the same <laughs> argument for all these films. No, we can't. Yeah, we can't. <laughs> okay, fair. But then Jesse Plemons is hot. <laughs> oh yeah, that's why I'm thinking of ending things is the best movie of the year. Yeah. Do you want to yeah. do you guys want to dive into it? I've been so put no. off. I've been so put it, put off from watching this movie because of all the things I've heard about this movie. Yeah. So you don't need to. You want to talk about how bad it is? <laughs> it's incredible how divisive it is because I just cannot imagine the other side of the equation because I just think it's bad. I agree. I, I don't. I don't. Uh, so many critics put it on the top of their list. I do not get it. This is a vapid, insensitive, thoughtless. Wait, what's the thing that in the Frank Ocean song? Sluggish, stupid, and unconcerned. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, those are good those are all the right adjectives for this movie. Sexist. Damn. Oh. It's it's real it's a odd movie. It's trying to be a puzzle box movie, but then it's not interesting to solve, and when you solve it, it's also not interesting. Oh, tough goings, tough goings for Charlie Kaufman. It feels like the kind of thing where you have too much money and then like because it's a Netflix movie, right? And then it just you just doesn't work. Because you don't have people telling you that this is stupid. Because yeah. <laughs> it is. Um, Do you think Netflix is just full of yes men? I mean, Netflix is the yes men. And I mean, I give them credit for that because I get the idea of giving the creator... Like a blank card, check. Like carte blanche to do what the fuck they want, right? Mm-hmm. Which is nice. But I guess you kind of learn that when you do this, actually, you might not get the best product. Because sometimes you need somebody to be the discerning other voice to tell you that maybe are you sure this is gonna work you know yes i think i don't know um yeah i mean i'm i'm of the mind that i'm glad that we have netflix because we have things like you know meyerwitz stories and the irishman um (sighs) and small discoveries like uh cam from 2018 is a great movie that looks at the internet in a unique way we don't get those things without Netflix Wait, and marriage story. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, yeah. You know, th- this of course brings up larger arguments about like theatrical releases and, and mm. funding and, and who gets to make movies. I'm okay with Netflix. It's nice that they can throw money at everyone 
because they have it, right? And not everything's going to be a hit, but sometimes you get a hit that is because a filmmaker gets to do whatever he wants and whatever he wants is actually exactly correct. Yeah. Right? Sometimes you get that, but sometimes you don't. So it's kind of a, it's a hit or miss. Yeah. 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 I don't know. What else can we talk about? I really loved Bloody Nose Empty Pockets. Oh, yeah. Tell us about that one. Was is sort of this pseudo doc. I, w- I guess it's a doc that came up this year directed by the Ross brothers about basically the, the last day of this um, bar, bar somewhere in America. Yeah. And it has these you you sort of just track these characters as they they come in and out of the bar and throughout the course of this day and basically what really appealed to me was how genuine these the conversations that we were able to be privy to were just getting a real sense of the people there and Mm -hmm. their problems and how this bar was a space for them all to to come together so it was sort of just like a witnessing a collective mourning in a sense or a a collective like last hurrah as well and also you feeling like you were there in the moment which a lot of I guess with documentaries, there is this barrier of entry, but I think Bloody Nose Empty Pockets sort of just smashes through that, and they're just like, you're present in this moment right now. And um, I think the presence of the audience is so tactile. I don't want to say too much about it, because I think knowing less and watching it is better. Right. Sorry. (laughs) I fully just... (laughs) It's an odd experience. I I think you just get to watch it. And I think the content does speak to you. Like, if you're a person who's just interested in other people, that you will be entranced by the people you meet. That's that's it. That's really the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Like how we talked about earlier, how Wiseman just yeah. is able to... It has shades of Wiseman in there. Yeah. Observe sure. people and how they, they operate and act. Um, I think this movie does a similar thing. One of my favorites, but it didn't cross my mind until now... Driveways by Andrew Ahn. Oh, bless driveways. It just hits the button of kind and gentle that will always be a gratifying experience to watch for me. I love that kind of movie. It does it really well. Hong Chao is great. Lucas J is great. The child, the I is think, good. is so, yeah. such a great performance. And it's one of the last performances by Brian Dennehy. Is he the, the vet? Yes. Yeah, he is. Oh, okay. Yeah, he passed away earlier this year or last year. Mm-hmm. It's just a very nice movie, and it just hits the spot for me. <laughs> Love you, Andrew. I. <laughs> He's to to say a quick thing about his directorial style. I really like how it works in conjunction with the editing, where he has these very delicate close-ups on his characters' faces, and his editor, Catherine McQuarrie works in conjunction with that by holding for a considerable considerate long amount of time on those close-ups and it just works hand in hand and it makes Mm -hmm. the characters feel very very believable and you get to watch the nuances of their expression as time goes on i think it's very well done is it time to talk about no man land (laughs) 
I think it's time for you to talk about No Bad Land, man. Okay, neither of you have seen this, right? So I caught yeah. this. Full disclaimer, I missed the first 20 minutes because I was late. I was at work. <laughs> so what I'm saying, you can choose to ignore it if you think that that's a problem. <laughs> I think it's a good movie, but I was a little bit underwhelmed. I think also because of the insane amount of hype this movie had when I went right. into it. But the chief problem I had with the movie was that... Chloe Zhao goes into this community of nomads who live in America. They live out of their vans. And she casts people as themselves. You'll see in the credits that people are just playing themselves. And they're actual nomads. And they're essentially telling their actual stories, which is very sweet, very moving. But then she chooses to write in this character played by Frances McDormand called Fern, who has a journey within this same community. And she meets another guy who's also a nomad, but is actually played by David Strathern, who's also a great actor. Um, and they kind of have this, not relationship, but they have a journey together as well. And so she is, these two actors are inserted into this community as playing characters in this community. And so I had a lot of resistance to that because a lot of people said that McDormand disappears into a role, blah, blah, blah. But how can I not recognize Frances McDormand play acting within a community of real people. Mm. And that's something that I had a very strong problem with because with the writer, she casted people as themselves. There were no actors or big actors involved to kind of break that spell. But with Nomadland, that spell is broken from the first frame. I mean, I didn't see the first frame, but <laughs> it would have been broken from the first frame. Um, and so I think th that was very troubling for me because it's also this thing where... Not really a spoiler, but with Frances McDormand's character is has avenues where she can escape, where she has family members who have wealth, who are offering her money and she chooses not to take them. And I feel like that's a different story of poverty compared to these people who choose to live below the line because they want mm. to live a so-called freeing life. Right. And that's a confusing tension there where your two made-up characters are both adjacent to wealth and then your real-life characters playing themselves are not. And you're trying to e make equivalence between their stories. And I was like, wait, what? Mm. And I haven't really seen this kind of criticism yet. I don't know whether I'm off base, but it, it's something I couldn't shake. And it, it felt like a big issue for me. Mm. Yeah, also, I didn't like the cinematography that much. <laughs> <laughs> it felt a little bit like Terrence Malick light. Oi, oi, oi. And... That's there was also a very odd scene where I also didn't like the music because the music, they, they use this motif very often and they kept using it because it's it's kind of this um sentimental motif, which is fine, but they, re they use it very often. And then the point in which I was like, okay, the music feels a bit not considered in its application when there was this scene where they play that motif and then the scene, the vignette that you're watching is a bunch of people playing a song on a guitar and you hear both tracks at the same time. And I was just like, wait, what? Why can't I just listen to the guitar? Why are you assaulting me with two pieces of music at the same time? And I was like, that's strange. Yeah, so, so stuff like this was like like little bits that like kind of add a lot of friction in my, my film watching of this. I don't know. It's still not bad, I think, but oh, I guess hardly the best movie of the year. <laughs> right. Yeah. Still excited to check it out. Yeah, I, I think it's worth checking out. Chloe Zhao yeah. fan. She's, yeah, I mean, she's good. I mean, she has such an incredible way of 
entering these communities and she essentially is making a pseudo documentary as well right 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 right, right. and i think that stuff is hard that stuff is hard yeah <laughs> should we talk about um how how long have we how long are we in this this episode we we, we didn't even mention tenet until uh, now you're supposed to listen to this episode backwards oh <laughs> right right there it is there it is okay let's please dig into tenet i i, for, I realized i forgot to put it onto my list oh so i just added it I want you guys <laughs> at the go. bottom of your list. No, no, <laughs> no. Not, I don't think it's a bottom of the list. No, it's oh. it's it's is it's it better bes- than my octopus teacher? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what is what is my octopus teacher, Eli? <laughs> God, fine. <laughs> Let's just do that first, and then we'll move on. Fine, <laughs> Okay. Well, I'm, if I if I have to talk about my octopus teacher, then I'm going to talk about Sean the Sheep Farmageddon because that was for me. Okay, my octopus teacher is a very cool documentary about a strange guy from South Africa who who is having some familial problems. So he starts he moves his family to this seaside town and he starts to dive and swim every day. And he actually befriends an octopus, okay? He actually Whoa. befriends an octopus. <laughs> like the like octopus one octopus him. or multiple octopuses? One octopus. Octopi. He befriends and that octopus comes to know him personally. I swear, you've got to believe me. I'm not crazy. <laughs> so I, now I, I really have to you. check this out. <laughs> that, there's a reason the aliens in Arrival are based on octopuses. Yeah. Because ah. they're freaking intelligent. Yeah, they're friends. <laughs> I, maybe I'm more adamant <laughs> about this movie than I realized. It's it's cool. The photography across the board is really great as well. Yeah, and you, you uh, yeah, underwater cinematography is not easy. That's true. Mm. It's it's kind of an oddity, and it's it's good. I like it. Okay, Shaun the Sheep cool. Armageddon. I love claymation. <laughs> I love Ardman. I love Shaun the Sheep. I love Wallace and Gromit. Those movies yeah. are so good. This one, it's this Shaun one's so sheep. good. It, it, there's an incredible scene where an al- okay so an alien comes to the farm and hangs out with on the sheep they go into this grocery store and I was <laughs> crying laughing because they mess up the grocery store so bad it's just it's outstanding <laughs> and it's great claymation I love oh, I didn't realize there was a Shaun the Sheep last year. Man, I should go find this. It's on Netflix. It's so good. It's so oh, nice. Oh, it is? Oh, can you go? Uh, maybe I'll put it on my list. Wait, okay, before we move to Tenet, I'm going to push it to the back of a timeline. I realized this reminded <laughs> me of Emma with two M's and a period. Yeah. <laughs> because in my letterbox review, I talked about how I found Emma strangely reminded me of Ardman Claymation. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Yeah. And so... The reason I say this is because, and I still remember it, because the characters in Emma, which is based on the Jane Austen novel, are so physically clear, hmm. like a claymation character. You have Anya Taylor-Joy with her eyes, and all the different characters are very obvious physically, right? Hmm. They all have like a quirk. Like there's a lady with really long neck, and there's a guy with floppy hair. And so they all just have this one physical characteristic that defines them. Mm-hmm. And that makes it really easy to read this movie. It's almost cartoony, which is strange because hmm. it's based on Jane Austen. And I had way more fun in this movie than I expected. And it really landed quite high on my list for some weird reason. Wow. Um, and I recommend it because I don't usually watch Jane Austen movies, and this one was not bad. 
I'll and definitely check yeah. it out. Yeah. Yeah. Have I'm you seen Love and Friendship? I love Love and Friendship. I, was, I thought that was a bit dry, actually. But it's been a while since I've seen it. But Emma was just kind of fun. And <laughs> Wilson like, frowning. Kind of like... Mm. <laughs> <Whit> <laughs> Emma was we, fun. Maybe we'll do a Whit Stillman episode. Ooh, yeah. yeah. Metropolitan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. That was one of the last things that I got to watch with another person, was, uh, yeah. was watching, watching Metropolitan, Metropolitan with Wilson. Oh. oh. New York memes. Yeah. I, before we get to Tenet, <laughs> well, I'll just push Tenet it. Tenet is our big finale. Yes, but <laughs> I, I do really want to shout out, just because I want to brag that I had the opportunity to watch a live stream of this movie, um, Zia Anger is my oh, first yeah. film. Yes. Which was not, like, my favorite, but definitely a defining um movie watching moment of this year i think it started as a live performance art piece that she did at the metrograph for a few a few times at the metrograph but basically what zia anger does through a computer screen is that she recounts her her life through the story of the making of her first feature film. I think it it gets into deeper conversations about the the art that you create and the art that you feel okay letting go of and just the the relationship between you and the work that you do. But I, I, I just want to say that it was a very formative moment in how I view the work that I do and also how I view the work that I have done previously. That's I agree. Say. It's also a lot about how the creators of art interact with collaborators and how they treat those collaborators there were some, frankly, traumatic incidents that occurred on the set of Anger's first film, and she goes into them, and it's uncomfortable to view and to participate in as a live experience. But mm -hmm. she uses it as a teaching point, I think, directly to other artists to mm -hmm. point out the truth that you must respect and honor your collaborators. And I think that that message works very well over Zoom during a pandemic yeah. to how she adapted this performance because it makes you feel very connected to the other people on the live stream in a way that is heightened by the distance that you have with the co-audience. Yeah, I don't think I've ever experienced or I ever will experience something like that and i think the way that she was able to adapt her live performance into a live streamed performance maybe even elevated the work itself i feel like i, I still have very little frame of reference to what exactly this live stream was about <laughs> i feel like i don't understand she presents and she presents clips from her first film clips from her life it's partially autobiographical about her family yeah. And she has text that she types in real time. Yeah, to into a notes things. like app on her phone. And then also she had an has an iMessage window open. So it's basically a screen share. Um, but she has an iMessage window open where 
people can just text in throughout the performance. So she gives us an iMessage number. And before the show, like, really, like, starts, she shares around videos that we all, like, share with each other, like, short clips. And, yeah, it's just such an interesting way of using... Is it, like, a reflective kind of experience? Yes, yes. It's it's also yeah interactive. Okay, interesting. Wow. Just so such a genius little performance. I wanted to ask you, Wilson, about Mogul Mowgli. Oh. Because I saw Sound of Metal, which sounds like the same okay. movie. <laughs> no, I think they're yeah, very different it movies. Like, okay, Mogul Mowgli. What's that about? It's about. Uh, well, Riz Ahmed, who's in both of these movies, he plays a, uh, I think it's like a, yeah, a young Pakistani British rapper who sort of like starts getting big, but then gets hit by this illness. And through this illness, he starts confronting his own blocks with writing songs about his own heritage and his upbringing and i think it really brings into ideas of like the indian pakistani partition and mm. his family subsequent moving to the uk and i think it is a really incredible movie about how as diasporic artists how do we wrestle with the culture that we came from and the culture that we are in right mm. now and it is yeah i think it's a lot more about that right. than sound of metal is just about riz ahmed is a heavy metal drama who loses his hearing so he can't drum which on the surface sounds like <laughs> the same thing <laughs> right <laughs> and i was like wait a yes, minute yes. yeah but it's i think i mean yeah. for, for sound of metal is very much just it's actually about him integrating into a deaf community like oh, that's wow. kind of one of the the, the key plots of the, the film like him trying to figure out himself but Rizamet first of all yeah. one of the best actors ever oh yeah. my if you God. haven't seen The Night Of bro go watch The I've Night Of I've seen The Night Of sorry not bro <laughs> bro or sis <laughs> no I'm talking to our oh. listeners <laughs> he he's not the lead in Nightcrawler but he's yeah. like the grounding to that movie he can kind of do anything. He is so intense yeah. in Sound of Metal. And, you know, you can play this heavy metal guy who's, you know, intense about losing something so important to him. But he puts so much authenticity to the rage that mm. is very hard to mm. do. Like, people do rage. People do it. They just fly off the handle. His rage is real. You know, it's very difficult <laughs> to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Riz Ahmed. Honestly, I think that's the best performance of the year for me. <laughs> great guy great guy yeah okay i just want to talk about this movie because it it came out on hbo i i saw it at berlin i saw I, i've said this like five <laughs> times this episode i saw this at berlin but it's this documentary by david france who has made a trilogy of these i would say just like lgbt movement documentaries the second doc he made about um marcia p johnson was like came under a lot of fire because I think he did not get the rights or, or just like was not telling her story correctly. But the movie that came out on HBO this year called Welcome to Chechnya um, uh. was a movie that really like shook me to my core. And I think like everyone should watch this movie. Um, 
this is a documentary that follows a activist group in Chechnya, which is like a a region in Russia, I I guess sort of more like self-governed. And they, for the past few years, have been rounding up and um, sort of bringing queer people into concentration camps where they would just be tortured and just just for being queer and loving who they want to love and it follows this group of activists who are because the situation has gotten so dire um that the only way that they can save these queer young queer people is just to get them out of the country and it is extremely intense and you follow them try to trying to get these people out of these this country and also yeah it it was just so moving watching sorry i'm just like losing my words because i'm getting a little emotional um but (laughs) it was such a powerful watch and like after the movie finished the the activists like were present in the screening and came out and like everyone like all these like i think it was like 20 rows like everyone was like crying and then like cheering for them and it was so incredible and they they, there's also they he does this thing because he needs to mask their identities he does this cg masking thing like sort of deep fake and uses deep fake technology to to mask their faces so does Um, he create a new face for them yeah, he creates Whoa. a new face. And what happens, like one pivotal moment is one of these activists is manages to escape the country and then gives a press conference condemning the country for torturing these queer individuals, which the country itself denies. But as he's giving this press conference, you see the the like the mask over him sort of dissolve. And it's just so incredible. Like just seeing that moment happen hmm. no one has been talking about this movie and that's why i really feel like i i i want to to put it forward as as one of the best movies of the year and a movie that is a must watch for everyone but i i do there's a lot of there's heavy trigger warning for for violence yeah thanks for telling us about that one wilson mm-hmm. that sounds great yeah, no problem <laughs> it was hard to get out but <laughs> here it is yeah and on to <laughs> the next movie. Should we talk about TV? I'd like to talk about some TV. Sure. We can start with... Well, wait, before we move on to TV, are we doing Tenet? <laughs> I think we don't... Oh, do are we, we doing... Do <laughs> no, I like Tenet. <laughs> okay, let's do Tenet before we move to TV. Okay. T- talk about what you liked about Tenet, Eli. Okay. I think it's big and it's boisterous and it's yeah brawny and i had fun and it's i it, it clubbed me over the head with itself and i, I yeah. liked just submitting to tenet it's wild mm. <laughs> it's wacky it's bizarre it doesn't quite add up but robert pattinson john david washington they're both great i think the more time has gone on since i've watched it the more I'm warming up to it. I had fun. <laughs> yeah, I had fun. I I think yeah. it was a good. Exp- I think it was fine. Like it was 
it's not the best action movie, but it's a pretty decent action movie. And it's fun to watch a different kind of action scene because of the timey-wimey nonsense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's okay. The action scenes are great. Um, I really wish Debicki was given more to do. Yeah, that's, that's all true. I was yeah, that movie trying to work in domestic abuse doesn't work. It's not a good so, look, Chris Nolan. It's well, it's just it just is very out of place for this movie and doesn't have enough time to be really fully considered. Kenneth Branagh is <laughs> in a different movie. Kenneth Branagh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had a good time because I watched this in an empty theater. So I was just talking about a movie with my partner and like just. <laughs> commenting the whole time because there was no one around us so we're just like shouting at the screen and being like what the fuck is happening i don't understand <laughs> it's great it sounds fun so yeah it's like a nice ride it's like a nice ride yeah it's tenant <laughs> <laughs> this is like your review it's tenant. The real tenant is the <laughs> yeah. friends you made along the way <laughs> anyway let's maybe just quickly talk about tv and then yeah it was a great year for TV, you guys. TV. I think this was this has been the best year of, of TV we that I've already seen talked about in small acts, which is already a high watermark. <laughs> yes, well, okay, yes. okay. Let's not crack open the TV or movie can of worms, but <laughs> <laughs> let's save that for another episode. Oh, okay. What do you want to talk about? I want to talk about Ted Lasso. <laughs> yes, let's talk about I may destroy you. Oh, <laughs> I thought we were going to start off with the easy ones and then yeah, get no, to the we start heavy really and we end light. That's always the call. <laughs> okay. I May Destroy You is my favorite, mo- uh, my favorite TV it's show. It's a good ass year. TV show. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Written by and starring Michaela Cole. It is based on her real life experiences with sexual assault and the fallout of it. And she creates a fictional character who experiences something similar. Each episode takes a different small facet of how that experience affects her life and her community of friends. It's really incredibly thought out and full of completely fully realized characters. Each episode kind of hits a different emotional register. I was really wowed by it. Yeah, I don't know. It's a it's incredible TV. Also, fuck the Golden Globes for not oh, giving yeah. this show. The any Golden Globes are stupid. Yeah. Okay, the writing on the show is so incredible because it really allows so many ways of thinking about the trauma of the event and also the trauma that the other characters go through as well. And it really defies easy answers to the to to no. any of the things that happen. And it's very difficult to write something like this where. There are no easy answers. There, no, there aren't even easy villains for something that is mm-hmm. like this. And the the last episode is incredible. Yeah, the last episode has stuck in my brain for for so many months since I've last seen it. Every chance the show has to complicate itself, it takes it. Yeah, and it, yes, she really dives in. She like tackles these subjects head on, and really so fearlessly. many other shows would would just would shy away mm-hmm. yeah. would brush it off not michaela cole and it's and also it's... really funny mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's great humor uh go watch it go watch it I, th- I think it's the show of the year if yeah you haven't seen it what are you doing with your life come on why are you watching emily in paris <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> excuse me amelie and paris <laughs> wins emmy 
let's move to i don't know i want to talk about ted lasso because i love tesla ted it. lasso and Great it was a show. it's a fun it was show yeah such a a beam of light in this really really sad year um and it's about ted lasso who's this american football coach and he gets hired to teach this premier league football uh like soccer team and <laughs> in britain in britain <laughs> in, in britain and it's just him navigating working at the team and, and and just ultimately bringing everyone together it's so joyful and it's so it, like if, if you are just looking for an easy watch to like lighten up your day um i would suggest suggest ted lasso it reminded me a lot of how i felt watching like early parks and rec and yeah i guess parks and rec it both it's about the infectiousness of optimism and there is depth to ted lasso's character that gets revealed and Mm -hmm. it's it's so full of heart the jokes are really really funny really well written yes yes I, and I'm also speaking this, I'm just like not a sports person at all, so... <laughs> oh, same. It's, it's an appeal to non-sports people. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I want to talk about something that's also about people with big hearts, which is Steven Universe future. <laughs> because yeah, I'm a child. Ooh, okay, I love Steven yes, Universe, babe. which is a cartoon show for kids which I am one uh, <laughs> and it's created by Rebecca Sugar and it's a fantastic TV show. And it, it actually concluded, I think either not in 2020, but actually maybe in 2019 or 2018, but in 2020, they released a epilogue TV show called Steven universe future, which is about, it's an epilogue to the main series. And the reason I want to bring it up is because for, I mean, I love Steven universe because it is a kid's show that it's about the power of love. Oh. Steven Universe is a kid that saves the world by loving his enemies. Oh. That That's the show. That's great. It's so it's sweet. incredible. And Steven Universe Future takes that and then it talks about trauma, which is like, wait, it's like a huge 180. Oh, because wow. he does, he saves the world in the main series. And then Steven Universe Future talks about what that means to be this kind of person that saves the world at 12 years old and then grows up. Oh. And then what happens? And the trauma wow. of him saving the world that no one has helped him with. And then dealing with that. And uh, really kind of heavy topics for a kid's TV show, but still presented in a very lighthearted yeah. way and has time for funny dumb asides. And I really love Steven Universe. Like, <laughs> yeah. They have, they have such good songs. Yes, too. and they have great songs. I haven't seen the newest season, yeah. but so yeah. we are the crystal mm-hmm. gems. We'll always save the day. Sorry. Steven is <laughs> also pioneering for its depiction of queer relationships on Cartoon Network, which is huge. Yeah, that's all I have to say. <laughs> I love cartoons. Really great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I'm just going to jump in with another far off pick, um, which was my favorite reality show of the year, which was MasterChef Australia season 12, <laughs> Back to Win. <laughs> um, <laughs> MasterChef Australia has been a staple in my household and I think continues to be my favorite reality show of all time. I think um, <laughs> the way the challenges are set up are very, very smart in showing the skills of the chefs themselves. And I think... The relationship between the contestants, between like all the contestants and the contestants and the judges are so beautiful to watch. Um, Think of it more as in a Great British Bake Off sense than a U.S. MasterChef sense. Um, 
in that they are all trying to support each other in doing the best or being the best chef that they can. And uh, Back to Win has contestants from all previous 11 seasons uh, come in. And I think there were like two from each season and like duke it out to see who's like the best of the all-stars. And it's a great watch. It is 60 hour plus long episodes. And (laughs) um, if you are up for it, you should check it out. <laughs> I like how Wilson, to go into talking about this show, like leaned closer to his mic like he's telling us a secret. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you about the show, kids. <laughs> I have to bring up How To with John Wilson on yes. HBO. <laughs> a show Let's do about it. New York, for New York, loving New York. It's produced by Nathan Fielder, who... <laughs> King, 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 king. <laughs> Nathan Fielder's show, Nathan For You, takes a similar verite kind of approach, but I think it's a lot meaner. I think How To With John Wilson is all about observing the strangeness of people with a kind, open heart and taking it and running with it. It's incredibly mm-hmm. edited. The moments are so well chosen. It's full of visual puns <laughs> from what John Wilson describes in voiceover to what we see on the camera. I love the size. And yeah the signs are hilarious it's this great specific humor and it's also the first piece of art that has really properly and honestly grappled with the pandemic Mm. i won't say more about that but Mm -hmm. it's a great show it's a brief watch it's just like six 20 minute episodes so far that Mm -hmm. it got renewed so i'm looking forward to seeing more and to seeing how it re-enters new york a very different new york Mm -hmm. now it's sort of one of those shows that I was watching it and I was like, this is impo- This was impossible to make. How did they make this? How did they get this amount of footage and time it perfectly to um, his monologue or yeah, his voiceover? It's just impossible. I, I, how I does don't, he do I can't it? imagine the, what, how do they process the script of this? Like, do they shoot first or do they write first? <laughs> like what, what are they doing? <laughs> it racks my brain. <laughs> he goes out with his camera and he films and then they take it back and try to find a coherent theme to pull out of it. I don't believe that because it sounds really difficult. Because <laughs> that sounds like thousand hours of footage to make 20 minutes. Because <laughs> Which it probably is. Yeah, but sometimes the, the signs that they find are so specific to the exact line that I feel like they're like, okay, wh- <laughs> what's the pun for this word? Let's go find it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, there's probably some back and forth. Yeah, great show, great show. I want to quickly talk about Veneno, which mm. was this Spanish television series that is now on HBO, um, which chronicles the life of Cristina Ortiz Rodriguez, better known as La Veneno, who uh, was a trans TV icon and television personality in the 90s. And it's based on a biography that was written on her so it sort of chronicles the biographer going to find veneno and learning about her life and as she learns about her life we learn about la veneno through the years Uh, so so it's sort of like a beautiful day in the neighborhood but i think it is more balanced between the two narratives and i think 
there has been a lot of talk this year, especially with that Netflix documentary that came out about trans representation in media. And I think this is just a, such a beautiful presentation of queer joy and trans joy and just seeing transgender women played by transgender women lift each other up and create a family and a unit for themselves to to live together and to thrive is something that I've never seen on TV before or just in any sort of visual media context before and just watching that has brought me so much joy and it's made me so happy that this exists in the universe and everyone should check this one out great that sounds great it's on my watch list yes yes it's it's also just really good tv <laughs> i want to quickly shout out plot against america which was a miniseries on hbo about an alternate history if fdr did not win re-election and the pro-hitler charles Lindbergh won election how that affects a jewish family living in new jersey it's based on a philip roth novel i love philip roth and i felt seen by its depiction of a jewish family and i think it's really good it does a good job of engaging with our current moment without feeling too didactic. I thought it was a great miniseries. That's great. I'm definitely going to put that on my watch list. I haven't. Um, I saw it. I think it kind of underwhelmed me a little bit. I'm not sure why. It was okay. Uh, I don't really have much to back that up with. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, it's okay. Because I think it's using that kind of alternate history slash allegory kind of thing to comment on current times that... Maybe it felt a little bit like I draw a very long line between th the present and the alternate history to kind of glean its point. I mean, not that the point is difficult to get, but I guess I kind of just feel like we could, we could have this story without an alternate history almost. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Um, it's still well acted. Uh, yeah. Incredible acting. I like the level of distance that it puts mm -hmm. on itself by being an alternate history while still remaining grounded in a kind of mundane everyday. Mm -hmm. mm. But I get what you're saying. Okay, my last TV show I want to talk about is Normal People. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which was maybe the most bingeable thing I watched this year. Like, I don't binge things, mm -hmm. but I really wanted to binge the heck out of this. I watched this, I think in a week which is very fast for me or maybe less than a week i think it was like four yeah. days i think after the first two episodes i was like whoa i, I need to know <laughs> i need to know whether these two make it <laughs> i just need to know and i kept watching and watching and watching and it's just incredibly active that's it oh, it's incredibly it's so active. beautiful i would say that the second half flags a little bit for me it gets a bit too melodramatic maybe because the first half is very much about interiority of the characters but the second half mm -hmm. really starts getting all these so-called villain characters in. But then I read the book and I realized that that was just all in the book as well. So I was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> this is source material. Yeah, I think normal people is an example of how to make a perfect adaptation. I really... <laughs> it's, it's hard to fault how things were translated from page mm -hmm. to screen. Because usually when you translate or when you um, adapt from book to screen things change like characters shift and like who they are is different whereas in normal people like that was marianne and mm -hmm. that was connell like yeah. there's no distinguishing between the two and i think daisy edgar jones and holy shit <laughs> <laughs> paul meskel sorry <laughs> <laughs> 
Daisy Edgar Jones and pa- Paul Veskel deserve all the awards. They're um, so good and relatable and believable. Uh, I immediately went to find a book to read it because I was like, I need to live with these characters again. Yeah, and I was yeah. like, I just need to read this. And the book is, the, the way it's written really gives you the access to the characters. Yeah, it really does. But I think the series achieves that to a surprising amount given how interior yeah. the book you is. You really get a sense of which was so surprising how they feel about themselves and each other. Without a monologue, it's great. Yeah, Eli, did you watch it? Yeah. No. <laughs> will you watch I have no it? opinion he lies weird people <laughs> <laughs> that's right abnormal people paranormal people Ooh. i'll watch that <laughs> the last one i have to call out is better call Saul season five. Oh my the show God. has really hit its stride it's very intense kim wexler is one of the greatest tv characters period incredibly acted by Rhea Seahorn. Rhea Seahorn, one of the best actresses of all time. Oh my gosh. Shameful that she did not get nominated yes. and win the Emmy. Okay, Better Call Saul, definitely better than Breaking Bad. <laughs> oh, I mean, I, it's wait, been a while since I've seen my Breaking Bad, but Better Call Saul is incredible. It takes its time a little bit more, and the evolution of Saul Goodman's character is so well drawn out. And Kim Wexler yeah. as a character is the most compelling of all the characters in the Breaking Bad universe. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. It's one of those rare cases where the prequel is better because it's a prequel that comes after the main series. Knowing where we yeah. were going makes the prequel more interesting. Yeah, it allows... It gives Better Call Saul license to take its time because we know where it's headed. Mm-hmm. It's like stringing out a long rope and... Uh, no, um, it's a bad analogy. <laughs> <laughs> we know where it's going. Yep. All right. Are we, are we wrapped for TV and film for 2020? <laughs> are we going to put that year behind yeah. us finally? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. On to 2021, yeah. folks. Big year. Big year. Okay. I, I guess that wraps it up for this special episode of Deep Cut. Please rate and review because that helps us keep making the show. Be sure to subscribe to us where you listen to podcasts so you'll know when our next episode drops. You can give us a follow on Twitter and Instagram at DeepCutPod. Join us to talk about movies on our Discord server, to which you'll find a link in the description. Tell us your favorite 2020 movies. (laughs) Thank you to Justina Yam for our beautiful artwork. I'm Wilson. I'm Ben. I'm Eli. Together, take care. Take care. And <laughs> Three, take care. two, one. And we're take care. care. And we're looking, and we're looking forward, forward to talking about movies, movies with, with you, you next time. Next time. Not a train wreck at all. <laughs> That's the right way to enter 2021. That's 2021 energy, people. All right. <laughs> I wonder how that sounds all Terrible. together. <laughs> <laughs> boom, ba-dum, boom, 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 boom. <laughs>